Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Shanana Cast. Once again, Sans Sens Taku. Sans Taku, if you will. Sans um, Taco. What I thought you were about to call it. Sans Taco? Sans Tacos, yes, is I'm he, afraid. There is he are, edible? There are no tacos in this, in this podcast. Uh-huh. Um, if you're eating a taco while listening to this podcast, then you... Shame on you. I don't know if it's so much shame as I'm impressed. I'm impressed that you knew that we were going to talk about the lack of tacos in advance. And we're able... Which is the topic for today. Yes. Tacos. We're going to talk about playing D&D with and without tacos and which version is better. (laughs) Bringing this topic to you since we are Sans Taku. uh, I am Units and I am your... Pretend to be the host even though we don't really have a host for these things. No 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 one's a host. No one's really a host. Since Taku likes to call himself the host. I'm but about to say, since Taku isn't the host. Not really. <laughs> I mean, he says this bit at the beginning, and it's like, welcome to the Shenanicast, and then it's kind of freeform chaos. Alright. But. Oh, I'm Pookie. Pookie the death bunny? Yeah. I bring death in cute, fuzzy form. Excellent. I am Shadow Chorus, also known as William. Hey, he said his name. He did what he was supposed to do. <laughs> oh, I'm Holly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, this is going swimmingly. We're going swimming. I can't swim, so this is disastrous. All right, so today we are not talking about the lack of tacos or the subst- or the having of tacos. Unfortunately, that will be a podcast for a later date. Today we are talking about the joys and perils of creating characters in tabletop gaming. Um. Yay. Which, character creation, in my opinion, is one of the most fun parts in it, because that, in, in uh, any of the tabletop games, because that's when you get to make your decisions about, okay, well, what do I want to be? Who, who, do I, who do I want to pretend to be? Whose shoes do I want to step into? What role do I want to be? Who do I want to be? And so starting out, we're going to be just kind of going down the list, basically, of the kinds of characters that we really enjoy creating in various settings and, and D&D types. And probably this is probably, a good, this is probably a good space to introduce some of our favorite D&D characters. Yeah. Well, we say D&D, we mean tabletop role-playing. Tabletop role-playing. Um, D&D general type. And to clarify, we're not talking about mechanically advantageous builds. Um, there's lots of websites where you could find builds that abuse interactions and that are really powerful or break the game. We're talking about characters that are fun to play. Characters that we enjoy. Characters that have a lot of role play to them. Um, if you want mechanical benefits, you're probably best off going onto a forum and looking them up. That's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about making a character that is more personality and role playing than dice. So, especially since Austin is bad at dice. You, dice aren't my friends. Um, they, they have betrayed me once too many. Once too many. Once too many. It was bad when I was playing that video game and I couldn't make like an 80% chance repeatedly. <laughs> Dice hate him in video games too. So. So the very first thing that we, um, I'd like to talk about, because um, a, a lot of people, who, especially who are new to role-playing games, don't understand the value of poor stats to a character. Um. By which I mean, a, a lot of people, we, we'll use D&D as the example. You look at D&D, and you look at a character who's got like, you know, a bunch of 18s, and nothing's lower than a 14, you think, oh, that's a really great character. Really boring to play. Because there's nothing he's bad at. Um, you know, it's, th- th- this is the, the perfect child who everybody wanted to be, and was probably a jerk to everybody else because he was better at them in everything. Like, and this, this is a mistake that I made... Uh, when I started, when everyone started making characters for uh, A Simple Life, the actual play that we're doing right now. Because what had been running through my mind was, Austin's really bad at dice, but I really like rolling stats. I can probably just make a rule that if someone's stats, if they roll their stats below 10, just re-roll them. I re-rolled a lot of numbers. And then I realized that no one had any poor stats because of that. And so there was, like, we're missing out on a lot of the character development that comes from having bad stats. And I realized then that I probably should have just been, like, looking at individual players and saying, these stats are terrible, maybe you should re-roll some of them. Which is probably what I would have done with Austin. <laughs> um, 
but there's a lot of there's a lot of players who look at things and be like, oh, well, this character, well, you know, their highest score is a fourteen. How am I going to play this character? And you play the character to their to their strengths and weaknesses, and you have a lot of fun. Um, I've got a second edition rule book, and there's an entire page devoted to talking about how. A lot of your character's personality comes from their abilities and what they what they are good at and what they aren't good at and reading their abilities. They, they had an example of this character who had <clears throat> a really poor stat array. Um, they, had like, they had like a 6 strength, 14 dex, a 13 con, a 13 intelligence, and then they had like a 7 and a 5 for wisdom and charisma. And, and they made several different characters out of these exact abilities. And the amount of development that was just in those stats was incredible. Because it's like, well, you know, his strength is low, but his constitution is high. You know, how do you explain that? Maybe he's um, really healthy, but he's not necessarily physically active. You know, he doesn't have to be big to be constitutional. Or maybe he's just overweight. Um, and they just ran down, you know, his high intelligence could be, you know, naturally quick-witted, but low wisdom and charisma means that he's, knows that he's quick-witted and doesn't think about anything he does and grates on people. And since you, so when you, when you have poor stats, it creates a character to a degree. It creates ideas, depending on how you interpret them. Um... For, so, what, what do you think about having poor stats? Holly? Um, I apologize. I just zoned out so badly. Um, like, when you look at a character in there, all their stats are amazing versus a character who has, you know, high numbers, low numbers. Or when I play Call of Cthulhu. Or when you play Call of Cthulhu. That, that's a perfect example. You played Call of Cthulhu and you had... Really bad stats. I rolled for those. But that, that helped inform My... your character. What? The, the, but that helped inform your character. Kind of like yeah, help with creating them. It did. Um, my character's also the one that died. <laughs> I'm not Which sure. Which I, I felt really bad about. How, how great an example but, that is. But did you have fun playing the character? I did. I did have fun playing the character. Whether you die or not isn't necessarily like the defining trait of whether a character see, was successful or not. I die all the time. Um, in the second yeah. edition campaign, we've gone. I'm the only person who's lost a character, and I've lost three. Um, and an arm. Three and a half. <laughs> well, three and a quarter. Yeah. Oh. Arm is not a quarter. Three and a fifth. You have five limbs. And you lost a character in the Warcraft campaign. All right, well, that was. Going five hundred. That was breaking the sound barrier into a wall. On the, I, I on would the say he. I, I would say he died while being successful. <laughs> I broke the sound barrier on a jet-powered table into a wall, but I killed that troll. You killed the so troll. So dead. You killed the troll who was holding onto that table. He was so dead. The table survived. For anybody who cares about the table, the table did survive. The table was the table was still at sanctuary. Um, my character did not. But the table survived. Neither did the troll. The troll was super dead because he was between the table and the wall. Yeah. Like. You were on the table and died. The troll was between. It was in front of the table when it crashed into the wall. a little splat mark on the wall. Um. But, yeah, I, th- I think that something to clarify is you can have a lot of fun in D&D even if you die. Dying can be fun. Um. Honestly, it's not as much for the... St- with the stats for me, it's more about the character itself. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, having a bunch of high stats, does that make the character any more fun to you? If I get to kill things more, sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, there you are. Pookie the Death Bunny has spoken. <laughs> I mean, Always I really, murder things. I really enjoy killing things, so if that makes me better at it, then yes. Alright. So, yes, there is some fun to be had with high stats. Um, and it's, like, there's nothing... Like, if you... 
This is not to spark the sentiment that, oh, all of my stats are really good. This character is going to be really boring. No. And you can still have fun with a character who has, like, universally high stats. Don't write off a character just because you rolled a five for a stat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, an- another thing that I think stems off of this is I, when I build a character, I like to... I think it's it's always fun to step back and look at what you've rolled and just kind of what develops rather than going in from the beginning being like, it has to be this character. And I have to have this set up. Because um, with Call of Cthulhu, I rolled all my stats simply in order. It's like, okay, I'm just going to roll it, and whatever number ends up is the number that's going to go here. I didn't assign any of the numbers. And it created a character character that you saw the stats, and I'm like, I can see a personality developing here. And there's also something to be said for going in with a predetermined character in mind, because even then, if you're open-minded about it, the character that you had in mind kind of shifts a little bit yeah. as you roll well, your stats. Well, what I'm saying is you can't go in and be like, I want to make this exact character. He, he has, has to have a really, these exact he stats. Have, yeah, he has to have a really high strength and a really high constitution and a really high dexterity and a middling intelligence and a terrible wisdom and charisma. No, that might just that might not happen. That's, that might not happen. You you may just have to go in and be like, oh well, none of his stats are really high. You know, he doesn't have any natural eighteens. You know, his highest stat might be a fifteen. Okay, well maybe he's not the strongest, but he compensated for it by also having a good intelligence and saying, oh, maybe he's more of an intelligent warrior, or maybe he's more of a, a wise warrior. Um, maybe this character I made to be a blithering idiot who doesn't have any stats that are really low for intelligence can be a character who simply comes off as a blithering idiot because it's easier that way. And so you, you, you make adaptations as you go along and you just have to stay open-minded. Um, also on that topic is I think one of the biggest things that uh, trips people up on making characters is when you start with an end character. Like when you start with a character that has no room to develop. Um, you start with a character that, instead of having an arc to the story, because, you know, they have room to grow, they have room to have stories and change the way they, they think and feel, you have a character who is already at the pinnacle of what they're going to be. Can, do you guys have any examples on that? A robot. <laughs> well, he, here's an example. Have you ever watched a sequel to a movie uh, that, that's poorly done? Especially, like, a lot Maybe of the super... Times. A lot of the superhero movies that have sequels. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Thor, for example. In I Thor. just thinking Thor. Yeah, in Thor, how would you characterize Thor at the beginning of the first Thor movie? He's brash, kind of cocky, very sure of himself. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the movie? He's a lot more brash, thoughtful and careful. Kind of <laughs> he, but he, yeah, he's a lot... Of, he, he's developed a lot of wisdom. Okay, let's talk about Thor at the beginning of Thor 2. Basically the same as the end as, at as the, the end, end of Thor one. one, which means that there's not really any all, room for him to go any anywhere. Room to grow because he already had all that character development, and so. But then Thor two was, but Thor two also did something right though, because Thor two wasn't as much about Thor as it was about Loki. Yes. Yeah. Well, and I'm I'm not saying that it was a bad movie because of that. Um, I didn't like as much of Thor one, but. It's like, like there's, there's a thing to be said for people. never do. There's a thing to be said for characters, and this is something that I've, that I've done a lot, actually, is even when I'm playing as a party member, uh, there's a thing to be said for characters who are near the end of their development if they're playing the role of not the spotlight character, if they're playing one of the supporting roles within the story. Because characters who are near the end or at the end of their development can serve as teachers or guidelines yeah. for, the rest of the me- for the rest of the members of the party. But... Even a mentor can have character development. Um, yes. One, one of my favorite games I ever played with my older brother, um, the character that I created was a character who had been a great hero in, in a great war past, and um, the war was lost at a critical moment. And there was a prophecy that some child would come up and, you know, save the world. And my character was the mentor to that character, and so, you know, my character was the old wise elf, Sage. This is a long time ago. I was trying to place which character no, th- this is. This was sorry. a long time ago. Um, and so he 
seemingly was towards the end of his character arc. He was very developed. He was very, you know, cautious, wise. Uh, it had a lot of nuance to him. But he was put into a scenario in which he was mentoring someone else. And he was playing off of a younger character who had a lot of room to develop. And in helping this character develop, he regained a number of his older traits. And so his development was basically picking up the good traits of this undeveloped character. And sort of it, it, it so it wasn't necessarily, you know, progressing to the end of the story arc, it was kind of a lateral movement. Yeah. It was like it wasn't that he was any less full of a character at the beginning, but his character still changed. Yeah, like there there is something to be said for a full character as long as you like properly understand that this character needs to change in some form or needs to have some form of story to go with them because if you're playing one flat line throughout the entire campaign mm-hmm. your your character is static. There's yeah. no, there's nothing there's nothing interesting about this character because you know what his reactions will be all the time. And and a lot of that comes back to every character has to have flaws. Yeah. Um you know, your character can't just be, oh, well, you know, I take the, the, the perfect, most logical approach to everything. Um, and I think people get tripped up when they're role-playing, and it's like, well, my character would make this decision, but I know that's probably going to get him killed, or that's probably going to have something bad happen. So Make I'm, that decision! Um, that, that's always been my philosophy, is like, make that decision. See what happens. Like, hmm... If my character challenges this ogre mage one-on-one to, to combat, my character's gonna die. Or always left. Yeah, that character was just crazy. That character was mentally unstable. But you were true to the character. Mentally unstable, yes. Um, but no, there, there, I had a character and I challenged an ogre mage to one-on-one combat at like level four. That didn't turn out well. Um, especially because ogre mages fly. And was that Taryn? That was Taryn. I remember that. You died. Yes, I did. He died. He died, but it was part of his character. <laughs> I got resurrected. It was fine. Fine. But yeah, it was fine. Your intestines were on the ground, but it was fine. <laughs> There's also something to be said. Um, characters... There's also something to be said for characters who are stubborn. Because characters who are stubborn need to be played properly. Because there's a lot of times that characters who are stubborn stick to their choices no matter what, even when their choices are bad, and then after they've suffered the consequences of these choices, still make these choices. Yeah. There's a really fine... There's two fine lines, and it's, at what point am I just metagaming and being like, no, my character needs to do this, versus... At what point am I just being so stubborn I'm actively irritating other players? Um, because you can you can easily fall on both sides of that line. You can very easily fall on, well, my character's no longer really... My character is, uh, is convenient so long... Is stubborn so long as it's convenient. Versus my character is so stubborn... That, that he never changes, ever. That he's become static. Yeah, he's become a static character. It's like, hello, I am robot. I have programming. I do one thing only. Um, and like, there and there's a lot of there's a lot of character development that can be done uh, with a party, but there's a lot of character development that has to be done by the character because at times, like especially with these stubborn characters, when that character is so stubborn they irritate the party, the party is not going to be there. To give them character development. So they need to figure out their own problems. That is also an interesting element is party inter-party relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how, how do party members get along? And when is it okay for party members to hate each other? And when is it... And act- how far? And how, how far do you have to go before it actively becomes a problem? Um, because... You know, it's, it's fine if two characters have a feud. Um, in a second edition game I was playing, I had a character who really hated druids. Really, really hated druids. And the party mouth was a druid. And it, it led to all sorts of issues. Um, 
but it was really, it was a really great way for my character's backstory to be shown because he kept getting into fights with this character and it was a great opportunity for this character to um, develop a better understanding of because because this character was very sheltered and it was very much a oh you know I'm I'm having exposure to people who are not necessarily um, of my belief set and perchance might be greedy um, you know and so the, the the druid and thief relationship there was really good for character development even though the two characters even though my character really, really hated his. So there, there, there's definitely a level where characters um, not getting along is perfectly in character and perfectly uh, viable to advance the plot. On the flip side, if your character hates everybody else in the party, at some point you're like, why is he following them around? Why is he still a member of this party? Why is Eggman standing next to Sonic? Yeah, I feel like this is something that comes up a lot in, in video games for kids, particularly the Sonic series, when it's like, Robotnik, why, why are you helping Sonic? Yeah, um, wh why is everybody friends here? Uh, and it doesn't make sense, because like, you, you're not playing true to your character anymore. Holly, your opinion? Um, my opinion on what? On, on, like on what characters in particular? Not getting, characters in the party not getting along. I mean, I agree with you. If it's if it's in their character, if they have if they have a good reason for it. Mm -hmm. Is there is there a, is there a specific line you draw where like this may be in character, but it's so stupidly annoying that it's really not worth it. If it, it prevents the party from progressing. <laughs> from getting anything done. If it, like, is constantly, like, pulling you back whenever the party tries to move forward. Mm-hmm. And one, one of the biggest problems with this is the brash characters have, have a problem where it is so much easier to start a fight than to avoid a fight. And it takes one pugnacious character to start every fight and you know at what point does the party just abandon him and be like oh well he started that fight we're just walking away bye because it's perfectly viable and at that point it's basically a concerted effort by the other players to say we're not with him yeah um can I bring up a completely different point yeah what if a player hates another player that's a much different issue. That, that, that's an issue of, um, you probably need to work that out between people. Yeah, um... But does that leak into the game? Oftentimes, that... In those kinds of situations. It depends on... First of all, it depends on the maturity level of the players. Like, if you have a group of, of five people, and two of the people don't get along on an individual basis, but they play their characters and they can play in character, um... And they, you know, their characters may have limited interaction, their characters may... But as long as it doesn't... And it can even... it can even, As long as it doesn't become malicious. Like, if their characters are rivals, that's fine. As long as their characters aren't actively trying to detriment each other because they dislike the other person. Mm. At which point... I mean, at that, at, that's the point at which, okay... The two of you disliking each other in real life is changing how the game works. You either need to work out your issues, or both of you need to like take a time out from this party. Yeah. Um, and typically, if that's happening, one of the two people isn't having fun, and they should probably just stop being there. Mm -hmm. um, rarely are both players just so spiteful and stubborn that they both continue to try to play. Um, at which point, I think they both need to just be removed from the equation. Um, and I'm also, it also depends on how you got your gaming group together. Because a lot of the times it's a, a steady group and people slowly get added in or fall out. 
And so if the new player doesn't get along with somebody in the group, they probably just won't come back. Um, again, it, they have to be someone who is just stubborn and spiteful and, oh, well, I want to play in this group and I don't care that Jed is here. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to keep playing. Jedediah. <laughs> yes. Jedediah, you have spited? Spitten? Spited me. Spote? Spited. Spited? Spote? You have spited me for the last time. Um, also, if Jedediah pulls a gun on the new guy. <laughs> because his name is Jedediah. So his name is Jedediah. I mean, of course he has a gun. <laughs> Cowboy hat. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> I'm down south. Sa- I'm from down south, and that name is still funny to me. <laughs> I'm dying. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, I apologize to anyone named Jedediah watching our po- or listening to our podcast. Watching. <laughs> if your name is Jedediah and you are watching our podcast, please don't. <laughs> please get out of my house. But it, I apologize to anyone named Jedediah who might be listening to the podcast. Andy Dingataka. <laughs> Jedediah is a pretty great name, let's it, be it, honest. It is, it is an awesome name, but... <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Jedediah aside. So yeah, I mean... Characters hating each other is not necessarily as big a deal as people hating each other. Mm. Now, it be, it, now, what gets interesting is... Characters hating each other bleeding over into real life. That's definitely a problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like, characters hating each other, leading to players who normally get along. Have you ever seen a situation like that before? Oh, yes. Uh, I knew a couple back in high school, and... I know what you're talking about. Yeah, you you knew them, too. You knew one of them. I I knew one of them, yeah. Another guy. Uh, Um, He... Their characters had a disagreement... Her character did something dishonorable. Like, her character was a thief and he was a paladin. Weren't they also dating? Yes, they were a couple. Yeah. <laughs> her character stole something and he's like, you need to return that. And she's like, no, I don't. And he drew a sword and they came to a fight and his character killed hers. So she broke up with him, IRL. Oh. Ah. Yeah. From my experience... If you're going to play D&D with your significant other, make sure you have a pretty solid relationship. Or at least make sure you're a good role player. Or make sure that you're not going to draw your sword on them and murder them. Um, I mean, I, I was in a situation where I was playing where when we first started playing, I was not dating the guy and then throughout it, we were dating. And then after we broke up, we continued playing it and it was not working out yeah relationships tend to make things muddy if they go bad um that that was a case where it was leaking into the game on his side where his character was outright just hating my character for every decision that i made there's like bleed through between player and character is hard to avoid but when it when it's specifically about hating something, it gets really bad. Yeah. And it's it's also sometimes really hard to confront somebody about it. Because like, oh, well, it's just in my character. Yes, but you're playing a hater. That might be an issue. Um, and, and at some point, it's just, look, I know that what you're doing is in character, but your character doesn't work. Yeah. With the group. I can remember a character that didn't work with the group. Yeah. There's a lot of them. There's, there's the the I, one that you trapped in the center of the earth? Yeah. Oh. So I have a, an individual who I refer to as my friend with no shame. Um, he plays D&D, interestingly. Uh, and it got to the point where he was a psionic character, and he, when he disagreed with the party, would mentally dominate them. Into doing what he wanted, which was a jerk, frustrated everyone to no end, and so um, the point that we couldn't make any progress in the game. Yeah, because he didn't want to progress the point; he just wanted to break the game. Yeah, he was a game breaker. Um, 
this was back in 3.5. Everybody knows a game breaker. He, he made a psionic, and he just put everything into making his domination spells impossible to resist. And so it's like, mass charm person. We're going to do this my way. And so I... And, I mean, I did an in-character thing and had one of my characters who was... Tr- the, 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 the character who was... The quest giver, I guess you could say, the kind of the one who was who was running the whole operation, who they were doing things for, got angry at him because he was preventing them from doing what they were supposed to do, and cast imprisonment on him, which is a ninth level spell that traps this person's essence in the center of the earth for all eternity. Unless somebody casts a ninth level spell called freedom on the spot where they were imprisoned. We didn't. Nope. I like how these spells are like one to one made for each other. Yes. It's like you know the counter spell to this spell. Otherwise, you're screwed. Yeah. We didn't care. We left him there. Yep. And that was the end of that problem. But we've, talk- we've talked for a while about characters that we like yeah. and that we hate. Um, we should probably get down to the real business of advice for <clears throat> new role players or for new just D&D players or like specific like tabletop role players. Yes. On how to create... A character. Um, so I've got one to start off with. Sure. Uh, this, was, this was some advice that I got a long time ago, which has always been really helpful to me. When you're unfamiliar with a setting, or unfamiliar with a system, your first character does not have to be a work of originality. You can say, ah, okay, I want to make this character that I've known, that from another, from another thing. Like, I want... Uh, I'm in Shadowrun. This is my first time playing Shadowrun. I have no idea what I want my character to be, so I'm going to make Batman. And I'm just going to see how I can make Batman in this setting. And you can. Um, be like, okay, well, let's see. Unarmed combat, let's up that. Uh, ooh, there's a pacifist trait. Okay, we'll take the pacifist trait. And he'll be good with vehicles. Alright, made Batman. And... Part, part of the beauty in that is that just because you, you made Batman doesn't mean you have to play Batman. Yeah, like, he doesn't have to be Batman, but you, like, based your character design on a concept that you already knew, and so you have something to, to found your character in and build up. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of characters who start as a concept, and then, you know, maybe the first few sessions, they're really shallow. But that gives you so much room to grow. Starting with a shallow character, it's very good for ending with a developed one. Yeah, it, it's that same thing about not not starting a char- not starting a game with an end game personality. Um, so no, that, that, that's that's my first step, but my first bit of advice: don't worry about making a completely original character if it's your first character in a setting or a system. So, so what what is your go to? Like, what what kind of character do you do you try to make typically? Uh, whoever's on my mind. At the time, like, um, when we started our 5th edition campaign, uh, Golbez from Final Fantasy IV was on my mind. I was like, okay, I want to make a warlock who can make, like, suit of armor that looks like Golbez's armor and wields dark magic and mental manipulation. Like, and so Faust was born. And Faust is one of my favorite characters that I've ever made now. Because he's just got, a really cool character. He's, he's got a lot of development now. Uh, what about you, Holly? Do you have any, any particular go-tos when you don't know a system at all, or just... Um, I'm trying to think back to when we did um, Shadowrun and started a bunch of these for the first time. Um, Is there anything your character has to be able to do that you try to make your character good at? Usually I come up with a general idea of who I want my character to be. Okay. And then I base it around that. So you start with the personality first. I, I always start with personality You get first. the abilities that would go for. So if you were making a Shadowrun character, you're like, okay, well I want to make a character who um, is, you know, a, a mob boss daughter, you know, secret agent spy type person. So you're mm-hmm. like, oh, well. And then like I did, and then I... Oh, she's familiar with poisons. She yeah. has a resistance. Because I knew exactly what mm-hmm. I wanted her to be. Sure, okay. 
Um, so so you, you then, when you make a character, you prefer to start with the personality. Mm-hmm. And then build the character around the personality. Which definitely doesn't always get you the same result. Because that character was not a good warrior. Um, in no. direct combat. She was still very useful to the party. And she was really dangerous because she'd walk into a room and just gas the whole thing. And you're like, oh, you all fell asleep. How inconvenient. Let me slit your throats now. Um, as opposed to your current character who can just punch everybody. Mm-hmm. Punch all the things. Punch all the things. Punch everything dead. Okay. Um, my favorite thing to do when, I, when I'm starting... I'm, when I start a system... I like to cram everything I can know about it in my face. All of the <laughs> Learn everything you can. Yeah. Um, I have an aptitude for very, very quickly learning rule sets. He does. Um, and I like to find something that, th- that that rule set offers me that nowhere else can offer me and try to take advantage of it. Um, Which is another thing. Like, and this, this, is, this is a tip mostly for people who play a lot of, like... Tabletop role-playing, but not necessarily the system they are about to start. Yeah. If you play a lot of tabletop role-playing, but you're starting a new system, try something that's unique to that system. Yeah. Don't, don't like, you, you've played fighters a dozen times. Maybe not, maybe not play a fighter. Try whatever is unique. Well, and you can... Like, well, in, 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 in Warcraft RPG, there's, there's all the, you know, the base class. You got your fighter, your mage, but the rune master was something that was unique mm. to Warcraft and so which is yeah. what I'm really enjoying. And so Holly Holly yeah. gave it a shot. And but I mean she enjoys it. And it's it's you know in every D, in every role playing game or going game to game you can always find the same basic archetypes. It's like okay, well I'm a fighter. Oh, well what? We're in we're in Warcraft. I'm going to make a warrior. Well, hey, why don't you try doing something different? Um, why don't you try being a felsworn fighter and you know, instead of, you know, using a sword, you can ravage people with your spiny tail and your horns and your bat wings. You're still making a warrior. You're still playing into your archetype. You're still playing your archetype. You're playing a combat-oriented fighting character. But now you've got these demonic traits to play around with. And it, it, it really helps you get into the world. And, and one thing I, I, uh, it also helps with is learning one aspect of a world rather than trying to learn the whole world is you know well maybe your character is a felt sworn and for those of you who don't know warcraft it's basically somebody who has been consumed by fell magic okay that's pretty basic okay so what if this character was just raised in a demonic manner and so their exposure to the world would be very limited because all they do is run around and ravage everything um and so you can create a character with very limited knowledge of the rules or anything like that, because it's fairly simplistic. It doesn't involve a lot of knowing the world. It's just, okay, knowing this aspect. And you learn things as your character learns things. You, know, like you, can, you can leave knowing the world to your dungeon master. Yes. But, I mean, there, there are characters that if you make that character, you are expected to know a lot of things about the world. But if you're playing with a decent dungeon master, the dungeon master will inform you if he knows yep. that you don't know anything about the world. Yeah, but I, I feel like it takes some of the pressure off of you. Um, it's like, hey, I'm playing a character who's an explorer who's been everywhere and seen everything, and it's like, I don't know anything about this the world. land, the towns, the races. I would not feel comfortable playing an explorer. Um, instead, I'm going to create a character who is apathetic to the world, so they don't care about anything to learn about it, and so they are learning the world as I learn the world, it gives me a much easier starting point. Um, and when, when I create characters in a world, I also, I kind of have a go-to archetype, um, which is not paladins, but characters who are good at combat and communication. Um, kind of, is kind of my thing. <clears throat> do you have any go-to archetypes like anything that you like you're t- typically be good at I like characters that can't get disarmed characters that can never not be with a weapon in hand mm-hmm. yeah so soul knife so, soul knife rune master rune master sky was unarmed 
Mm-hmm. Um, Venom was really hard to disarm because she had hidden weapons everywhere and her lipstick was poisonous. Yep. Yeah, you can't really be disarmed. Nope. I don't like being disarmed. I don't like being without a weapon. I don't... Yeah. I want to always be able to kill. Like, if our party gets locked up in cages... Must always defend myself. Our party did get locked up in cages that time. I was the person that was able to break everyone out. It's nice to have someone in the party that cannot get disarmed. Okay. So... So th- these are different concepts that you can go... What about you, Willing? Do you have anything that you... Well, when you go into a world and you just don't have anything going in your head like, that, you, that you like to be able to do, no matter what the this, this system is? Um, honestly, no. That, that is where my I pick a character yeah. and try and make it comes from. I do have my personal fondness that people who know me know off the top of my head. I have extreme fondness for noble monsters. For characters who are hideous or terrifying, but have a code of honor or a code of ethics that perhaps makes them more human than many of the humans. Yeah. And to clarify, these aren't characters that we always play. These aren't, you know, oh, well, I have to play a character who's good at combat and speaking. This is just a, this is my safe zone. This is my, I don't know. I was like, I don't, I don't know anything about this place, so I'm going to play what I'm comfortable with. Yeah. And when I know more, I'll branch out. Which... I like to play new systems because I like to learn new rules. I like to play systems I know well because I can really play with the rules. Um, but yeah, for somebody who's just getting into to role-playing game at all and not sw- not not just a new system, um, I, th- I think Shadow Course probably is the best advice. Just find something that... Just a character that you think would be cool in that, in that time period. It's like, oh, Sh- Shadowrun? You know, dark, grim cyberpunk future Batman to be cool oh fantasy I want to make like a King Arthur character you know that sort of thing or insert video game character I really like here I want to make Bilbo Baggins video game character <laughs> yeah I said one thing and then another literature and connect. I Don't built even... actually built there, there are multiple Hobbit video games that star Bilbo so. All based off of the book slash movie. Don't even worry about it. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> um, heck, if you want to make Drist, and it's the first time you've ever played D anD D, you 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 are allowed to play Drist at least once. Now everyone can play Drist at least once. <laughs> Don't play him too much. But if you if you want to be that guy, go right ahead. As long as not everybody else in the party is also Drist. <laughs> if everybody in the party is Drist. There's something going on. It's like, hard to give drifts. Alright, so these four new players. Done. Alright, so what are you? Well, I'm a dark elf ranger who's chaotic good. You? Well, I'm a dark elf ranger who's chaotic good. <laughs> what about you? I'm a elf with dark skin, but I'm not a drow who's chaotic good. What about you? Uh, I'm a human ranger who's chaotic neutral. Hey, um, but, but hey, there's actually there, there's something there. There's I have a challenge for veteran D and D groups. I want you to find something strange or unique or versatile about your party and build around it. Something that I've talked about a lot about WoW RPG is a party of tinkers, because tinkers are a unique class in WoW RPG that have the capacity to build anything they mm-hmm. want. And so a party of tinkers would be an interesting idea for veteran players because you could have one tinker who specializes in building devices that heal the party or support them. You have another tinker who specializes in building a steam suit to be the frontline fighter, etc., etc. You can build you can build a equally versatile as any mm-hmm. standard fighter rogue mage party with just this one class or, or this one aspect. In fifth edition, everybody is a bard. A party of four bards. You, know, you get two bards of valor. Um, and two bards of lore. You get one of your bards to get all the healing abilities. You get one of your bards who can wear um, heavier armor and who takes, you know, more of the strength constitution proficiencies. One of them to DPS, you know, maybe like a dual wielding one. And uh, one of them to cast debuffs and stuff to make the DPS effective. You can do it. 
it's not necessarily the most straightforward way to do something. It's like, but you it, can't do it, it. it may not be something for beginners, but or, those, those, those of you who are veterans and listening to this podcast, I have issued you a challenge. Or it'll be really fun, a Pathfinder campaign where no one had a weapon. Just everyone is unarmed using some of the various style things. There are so many unarmed styles in Pathfinder, it's great. Like, everybody could have a completely different unarmed style. Like, your wizard is the Kieran style, your fighter is like an orc with the boar style. Um, yeah, no monks. No monks. No monks to play But unarmed fight, but unarmed, but unarmed characters. all unarmed characters. <laughs> Okay, you have one monk. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's more fun if there's no monk. <laughs> like your cleric would be the crane style so that they heal and whenever someone tries to attack them they make um, counterattacks so they can still be in combat. I think this would be fun. Your, like, rogue, your rogue could be like monkey style so that they're always mobile. Bonus points if you manipulate the system to make it super effective. <laughs> yes. Like there was, there was a thing there was um there's a feat in WoW RPG that is designed actually for this called um, Collective Fury, which is based around the idea of someone who wanted to make an all-orc party or an all-troll party. Because it's the idea is, if you have one character who has the intimidating shout ability and this Collective Fury, then whenever he goes into a rage, which orcs have a natural rage, um, all of his party members within 30 feet gain the intimidating shout ability. Only if they're raging. So it's, the leader says, time for a fight! Rage! The rest of the party all goes into a rage, and they're all suddenly terrifying their enemies with their sheer presence. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that, that's, that's pretty great. <laughs> um, so back to advice on new players building a character. One thing I'd like to do um, is just go through the book and look through the names of classes. Which um, class has the coolest name? Well, I mean, if you go through, like, you like the, re- you really like the Warcraft RPG, we, we all know, but, you know, I'm looking through it, I'm like, what is this character that, was it, the, the Pyro? The Pyromaster? Pyromaster. Really interests me as a title for a character. I'm like, what does this character do? And like, oh, they ritual fires, they can light bonfires, they heal themselves with fire. Some people just want to watch the world burn. <laughs> There you go. Or um, second edition. If you ever play second edition D anD D, there's a whole bunch of different kits. Yeah, there was there was one that caught my eye when he was showing me some of the some of the kits for dwarves called the Battle Rager. Yeah, it's like there there is a title for for a class. I immediately thought of Fibbledorf Puent, and I was not disappointed. Yeah, they don't have spiky armor, but they're close. Um, or you know, you could go and be like dwarf sharp sharpshooter. Well, that's not something I think of when I think of dwarves. That's an interesting concept. I think of that when I think of dwarves, but that's just me. Well, yes, but you like dwarves a lot. <laughs> I do like dwarves. Uh, or, um, you know, going through uh, the halfling one, I found the, the halfling cartographer, and I'm like, ooh, that's an interesting concept. You know, a halfling who wants to experience everything and see everything in the world and, you know, record Frodo it. Frodo Baggins. Also Bilbo Baggins. No, no, because they didn't want to see... Bilbo it. wanted to go on an adventure. <laughs> he did, but he went on an adventure for different reasons. You know, this is more of, or of the, like, the Pippin took. Like, it's true, this is more like... I don't want to go on an adventure. I just want to see everything and experience everything. It is, it is kind of Merry and Pippin. Yeah, it's much more Merry and Pippin. Frodo was, I want to do this great task for the world. And Bilbo was, I want to go on an adventure. Bilbo was like, I, I, want, to, I want to have to a great story. This is just, I want to see and experience everything. Um, my mind just blanked. I want to know all but the yes, um, Have you ever looked, Holly, have you ever looked through through class names and thought, this is a really cool name for a class, this is a really cool idea? Just, mm-hmm. like, glancing through things. Soul Knife? <laughs> yeah. I was say, like, I think Soul Knife caught her attention when Soul she saw it. Soul Knife really caught my attention. And that's probably my favorite so Just far. reading through, wait, you mean that I can create a, a sword with my mind and throw it at people? Yep. I mean, going back to when I first picked out the WoW RPG, this was when I was coming into it from mostly just role-playing on, like, Warcraft 3 or World of Warcraft. Uh, when I first picked up the D&D books, I just kind of thumbed through the pages and I looked around, and the, the first prestige class that immediately caught my eye 
was let me think it was it was actually Felsworn because I was like really a prestige class for someone who wants to serve the Burning Legion that sounds really interesting what does it do this thing is monstrous and it, it, it made me so happy. The first, the first character I made was a uh, Felsworn character uh, who was uh, a warlock who specialized in making himself more dangerous than any demons he could summon. Yeah. Well, and, and this is something I think that games that don't have classes do lose a little bit in this regard. Because when I was playing Shadowrun, I'm just looking at... But there's so many things to put points into... Yeah. How do I focus? How do I focus? And, I mean, you know, for experienced gamers, it's fine. Once you've played a game of Shadowrun, you know how it works. You know, it's it's, it's really freeing to be able to put points everywhere. But when you're first making a character... Um, it was very overwhelming for me at the very beginning. Yeah. Now, when you make your first That's... character, it's like, I don't know how to build a character properly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and one thing that really helped uh, with Shadowrun was we played a one-off session with pre-generated characters. Where it's like, here's a dozen, here's like half, it was like a dozen different characters that are pre-built for you. Pick one and just run with it so that you get an idea of how this works. Mm -hmm. And, uh... Which is a a bit of advice that works for any system, by the way. If you have a DM who's willing to run a campaign, but you're not certain about the system or the setting, have them generate some pre-built characters for you and just let you pick from a wide selection. And a lot of games have pre-gen characters or you know you can go online and be like hey could you throw together some and not necessarily first level characters because a lot of times first level characters don't have a lot of cool stuff if you play fifth edition for example with a bunch of first level characters you're not really going to get the feel for them because first level a lot of the characters are very similar because the numbers are so small it's like around fifth level or even higher is when characters in like fifth edition begin to really separate from each other but when we play Shadowrun what caught my attention was I'm not limited by the by the rules about attacking. I can just try anything. Because it got to a point where it was, um, I was in a grapple, and it's like, I make a strength check to rip this person's arm off and hit the person who's trying to sneak up on me with it? Have at it. I know how I want to play this game now. It was glorious. <laughs> that, that, that character of that first one had so much personality. Oh... Um, I got to the point where we were going down a staircase. He was the I, exact opposite of my character, who was ex- who was expressly built to not have a personality. <laughs> um, I ended up throwing a character on his belly and surfboarding him down a staircase um, with a uh, flechette gun. Yeah, <laughs> I don't typically play gruesome or violent characters, but you know, every once in a while, <laughs> every once in a while, something catches your eye. You want to put on a dazzling display. Or Laboom. Laboom. I love Laboom. I duct tape a, uh, a pack of C4 to this man's body and throw him at my enemies. Click. <laughs> yep. Uh, and, and you, Holly, learned what character you didn't want to play. Because you, you tread the smuggler character because you thought it looked cool. And then... You learned that you did not like playing a character like that, right? When did I try that? Shadowrun. The, the pre-gen character. Oh, the pre-gen. The oh, she was bad. Yeah. But if you had to play her, she was you, bad. you might have made a character like her, and then yeah, you would no. not have enjoyed it. No, no, no. I, I enjoyed my other characters that I have in Shadowrun. Yeah. It, 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 it gives you a rip. And sometimes you see somebody else playing a character, and you're like, I like the character that they're playing. You know, I want, I want to see what they're doing. and So... If, 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 and this is, this is something that if everybody is new to a system, if an entire group is learning a system, play, play a, just a one-off run-through with pre-gen characters. Because it really teaches you more about the system than you could possibly learn um, just, by reading. just by reading it. So, um, any other broad advice on character building? Uh, uh, yes. Actually, a lot of systems have the, the nine-point alignment system, the lawful chaos good Yes. d and started that, and a, a lot of people use that, even though it's not technically in other systems. Um, so, 
there's a bit of advice that I have for that. Separate law chaos and separate good evil. Because they're two different metrics. And they define two different things about your character. To, to clarify, what we're saying is don't assume that lawful good is the most good. Lawful good is not any more good than chaotic good necessarily. So don't assume that the more lawful, the more good, or the more chaotic, the more evil. It's like chaotic chaotic good is not the evil alternative to lawful good in a good party. It's just someone who is good in a different way. And similarly, don't assume that chaos means random. Yes, chaotic neutral characters are... I think lawful good and chaotic neutral are two of the most misplayed alignments. Mm-hmm. Um, shortly followed by the inverse lawful neutral chaotic good. But... Um, lawful... And, and any particular experiences you've had with people who don't know what the alignments mean... Okay, so, Chaotic Neutral is, I think, the single most misplayed alignment. Not the hardest to play, but But the the most most misplayed. misplayed. Because a lot of people say, Chaotic Neutral, I'm just going to do whatever I feel like. Which is not how Chaotic Neutral works. Chaotic Neutral characters do function basically on a whim. But there is almost inevitably a method to the madness. Chaotic, chaotic neutral characters are people who act on emotion, and so they act on how they feel. But because they are a person and their minds work a certain way, they often feel a certain way in response to specific yeah. things. For example, I'm playing a chaotic neutral character in a second edition campaign. My character heard somebody mention that they were going to sell someone to slavery. Uh, this was a captive we had taken captive and tied up and were questioning. The moment he mentioned slavery... He cut off the man's genitalia on the spot, and which was on a whim, but it was something that was very much in his character. He, and under no other circumstance, would he commit an act of violence like that. He's actually a very peaceful character. But he has a couple triggers in his personality that cause him to do things that are seemingly random. Like, it's... There's a, there's a, point, that I, there's a point I can make. Chaotic neutral characters don't think about their actions. They just act. That said, they act in accordance to their personality. Yeah. To their reactions. Basically, chaotic neutral characters react to the world. They don't initiate anything. Whereas lawful characters act according to their code. Well, or according to... Or, or according to, according to... According to a code. It doesn't necessarily be a code they made up, you know? Yeah, but the code that they follow is... Basically, they're defining their defining yeah. list of how and I act. The flip side of this is lawful good characters don't always follow the exact law. You know, like law- lawful good characters who walk into a metropolis where it is the law that you must slap the first person you meet every day will probably not follow that law. Well, a perfect example of a lawful good individual, Martin Luther King Jr., went to jail several times because he broke several laws, civilly and peacefully in the method of protest. He was very lawful good. Never hurt anyone. He never violated a code of ethics. Gandhi. Yeah, Gandhi. Um, a little bit less so, but still very... Gandhi's much... closer to neutral, but yes, very lawful. But he, he, he was definitely very lawful. Um, and so, just because you're lawful doesn't mean that you are required to follow the law strictly all the time. It just means that you have a code. Yeah, it means that you you follow the code so long as the code is good. Um, and another thing is, you don't have to be 100% lawful good. You know, you can be the character who kind of blurs the line between lawful good and lawful neutral. It's like, are you really... And sometimes, and this is the thing, sometimes a character breaks... Sometimes, sometimes a character has a moment that so strongly pushes against themselves that they do an action that they otherwise would never do. For example, the lawful good paladin, who, having seen his entire order slaughtered horrifically and terrible things done to their bodies, um, may seek vengeance on the person who did it in such a manner that they end up uh, attacking an innocent with a greatsword because he got in their way. Perfectly in character. He certainly wasn't law, didn't do something lawful good at the moment, but it was a moment of the character being broken. 
and it happens. Just because your character is lawful good does not mean that that is all your character is. Lawful good is a guideline. Like, it doesn't mean they will never perform an evil act. It doesn't mean they'll never perform a chaotic act. Yeah. Good does not mean perfect. It's just likewise, evil does not mean malicious going to murder everyone. Yeah. Now, the hardest alignment to play is true neutral. <laughs> true neutral is the single most difficult thing to walk because you have to keep some something in the middle that isn't lawful, isn't chaos, isn't good, isn't evil. True neutral, in my opinion, is pure apathy. True neutral, in my opinion, has has multiple facets, and there are different ways you can play it. But the primary two are, as you say, pure apathy, or someone who actively seeks balance in all things. Actively seeking balance is really awkward, though, because when you are seeking balance, like a druid can be seen as true neutral. Because oftentimes they permit forest fires because it is nature's way. Yeah. But likewise, they also dam rivers so that water can flow where it needs to. Yeah. It's... And, and that's the true neutral that's really weird to play. Um, back in 2nd edition, all druids were supposed to be that way. It was really weird. Um, had to be true neutral. Um... And if you, get, if you get too caught up in true neutral, you end up getting into philosophical arguments and your character ends up becoming basically existential. <laughs> and your character ends up doing nothing ever. So don't get caught up too much in alignments. If you're going to play true neutral, that's great. Just be aware that... It's a really hard alignment to stay in. Many times you'll do good things. Sometimes you'll do evil things. It happens. And you can't... You can't sometimes there's not a neutral option. <laughs> like it, sometimes... Every character will have probably at some point make an action out of their alignment. True neutral characters will do a lot. They just have to perform actions in every alignment at some point or another. Mm-hmm. So, um, any uh, the alignment that, that was a, that's a good one because that catches up a lot of people. Um, Three point five especially had a problem with you know, oh, you're a paladin, you, everything you do has to be exactly lawful good. If you lose, if you do anything that's not lawful good, you lose your paladin abilities. Um, tying ability, that, 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 that's a GM thing, too. Like, paladins in my world, as long as they obey their code and are confident in themselves that they are righteous, they often will retain their abilities, even through some questionable acts. And if alignment gets in the way, get rid of it. Yeah. Um, this is some advice just for playing... If something gets in the way, get rid of it. Yes. Um, people misunderstand the importance of GM caveat. Fiat. Fiat. Yes, sorry. I own a fiat. <laughs> the GM being able to say, you know what? Don't even do that. Don't even worry about this. We're not going to do this. Um, the DM being like, yes, this is how the rules normally work, but this is an exception because it just doesn't make sense. Because the, the, the rule books can't create rules for every situation for every situation perfectly um so just because there already is a rule for it doesn't mean you can't change it or fix it or do something to it um and you know if you're a new player and you want to do something and you don't know how to do it talk to your GM be like hey I really want to create a rogue who does unarmed combat but I don't see a way to do it can you help me can we create something for it? And like either the G- if the GM is a cool GM, either he'll be like, "Well, there's this way to do it within these books," or he'll be like, "There isn't a way to do it in the rules right now, but let's brainstorm something and come up with it." You know, and and sometimes the GM will know they're gonna be like, "You know what? It's your first time. Why don't we say this for when you know the rules better?" That's, that's uh, and that's that another and, option. And, and that's a matter of you and the you and the GM knowing each other well, and the GM being like. We could create an unarmed character, but it would require you to know so much about the rules and to know all the grapple rules and all the disarm rules and all the trip rules to make full advantage of how the rules work. So, why don't you hold off on that? Until you know more. Until you know more. Holly, do you have any closing advice? Uh, not really. I was going to mention the alignment thing, too. Yeah. Alignment's a big one. Yeah. 
And to clarify, I'm in a lot of parties where I don't know the alignments of certain people, like what's written down. I just know how they act. <laughs> Alright. Um, any, any other thoughts about building characters? Anything that's stumped you up in the past or anything that you found really helpful? Alright. Okay, well, um, thank you all for listening. Uh, I hope that we've been entertaining and maybe a little bit educational. Um, just a bit. Just a bit. Don't, don't have to be super educational, but you know, if you learned something. And I still, that challenge still stands for veteran players. Unique party compositions. Go for it. By which we mean mono something. <laughs> mono something. Well, in second edition, it's really easy to go mono wizard. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh. 3.5, you can mono druid. So easy. It's ridiculous. So we're, when we say mono something, we mean mono something silly. Mono something that might not make the most sense. <laughs> Just for the sake of it. Um, but yeah, uh, we'd like to thank all of you for uh, listening. Um, we put up these podcasts every Monday in addition to our actual play. If you want to hear us play these games, um, see how, uh, you know, get a sample of how it works. Uh, we do that every Monday as well. We're currently playing A Simpler Life, which is a uh, Warcraft RPG. DM'd by myself. Yep. You're by the one over here who loves Warcraft RPG, you may have noticed. Yeah. Um, in addition to that, uh, we have a website, www.finalshowfilms.com, where you can RSS feed this podcast, as well as check out everything else we do. We stream seven days a week, uh, different games, different styles, different type of commentary, depending on what you're after. Uh, we also do two uh, comedy sketches every week, on Tuesday and Thursday. And um, we would love to do more, uh, but everything we do is currently funded by you. If you want to check us out at Patreon, uh, we are currently at about $100 a month, and that is for everything that we do right now. Uh, and if you want to check out, it'll tell you what we want to bring to you in the future. So uh, check that out. A special thanks to David Pay and Chris Comfort, our $25 uh, donors, and uh, Jessica Shea, our $15 donor, um, as well as everybody on Patreon, because every little bit adds up. So thanks to all of you, um, and we hope uh, we hope to talk to you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye.